Uh, welcome to the fascinating podcast, episode 244. I'm Sarah Parker Rubio. And I'm, and I'm Matt. Clay Morgan. Sarah, <laughs> <laughs> you did great. Clay, aren't you the learn. one that came up with the names in alphabetical order? Well, yeah. Let's do it again. And let's do Clay, And, and guess what Matt comes after Sarah. S? C. Ooh. Yeah. So where right. were you? I said it. After like 20 minutes. <laughs> I, well, I, I paused because I thought you were going to jump in and be all eager beaver. <laughs> and do it out of order? I would let's, never. Let's do it again. We'll have Sarah go first, then Clay, then JR, then me. Okay. You mean the order it is on the paper? Correct. <laughs> okay. Yeah, which is what I did. All right. Do I need to start all over? Do I also wait 20 <laughs> minutes after Clay before I say my name? Uh, no, my okay. preference would I just be do, no. Do like normal, Correct. like we've done at the other 244 <laughs> episodes? I mean. Welcome to the Fascinating Podcast, episode 244. I'm Sarah Parker Rubio. I'm Clay Morgan. I'm J.R. Foresteros. And I'm Matt Far from Home Alatus. <laughs> On this week's show, we're talking to author Sarah Parker Rubio, who just introduced the show, who is an editor and author of the new children's picture book, Far From Home. But first, we need to talk about Thanksgiving is coming. And you might not be able to tell. Have you guys noticed? Have you noticed that Thanksgiving is coming, given that every single store everywhere is celebrating Christmas? I was on a plane the other day. I was on a bunch of planes, and the airline was running a promotion, and they literally gave priority boarding to anybody who had a Starbucks Christmas cup. Were you on Alaska? And then, wow. Uh, yeah, Alaska Airlines. And then when we got on the plane, and the entire time we waited until takeoff, and the entire time taxiing back to the gate, they played Christmas music. JR, yeah. it would have been your night. I would have lost my mind. That's yesterday. I was on Alaska, and that's yeah, we listened to Christmas music the whole time. So we actually drank our Starbucks and just carried empty cups from airport to airport and just kept getting To cover your ears with, oh. so you didn't have to hear <laughs> Christmas music Come on, over Scrooge. a month and a half before Christmas. <laughs> at, at one point, I subconsciously started humming along and I was like, stop it! And I had to put on my own music. Sarah, what's your, in your house, what's the Christmas rule? When does music get broken out? Um, well, I grew up in a family that we were really practiced Advent. Um, so oh, no, we JR. were like not able to do anything until the first Sunday of Advent. Um, so, and my family now we fudge a little bit, just kind of depending on when we have so time you, to break when you say fudge a little bit, you mean like the fourth Sunday of Advent? <laughs> No, You'll like, do it like a whole week before Christmas? If it's like, you know, a day before the first Sunday of Advent or, you know, that's not a big deal. Jay. That's when you start listening to Advent music? No, we do skip to this Christmas music. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, Advent music is a little gloomy sometimes, although I love it. But yeah, we do, Jared, you know, this we is the closest too. you've had to an ally on this question on this show. I know. I was so excited. And you should talk to my dad. Rushed. <laughs> I get real grumpy when I try to find Christmas music on the radio on the second day of Christmas and it's nowhere to be found. Okay, I do hate that. Yeah, I mean, there, there are 12 days of Christmas. Can we yeah. just not go to Epiphany, please? Wow. No, we can't because thanks to Alaska Airlines Everyone's and other ridiculous people, they glut us on I Christmas know. music for two months. I know. 
I mean, my five-year-old is already like, it's Christmas tomorrow. And you know, all this stuff is not helping. Yeah. And see, even the conversation about Christmas is preempting Thanksgiving. I know. Right. Yeah. So that's the point, right? There, There is a, a flock of turkeys emboldened by this Christmas focus who are terrorizing a New Jersey town called Tom's River. They're biting the residents. They're even breaking windows. Animal control can't help them because they're not licensed to deal with wildlife. So my question can, was, like, what does the animal control do then? They, uh, they deal with, I don't know, escape pets. Domesticated animals. Oh, those yes. are wildlife. Okay. Right. This sounds like an R.L. Stein book. Exactly. They it's said like there's up to 60 invasion. of them, and they were making a big deal in the article. They're like, some of these turkeys can be up to 30 pounds. <laughs> I was like, oh, they're like small dogs. And run up you to know, 20 miles per hour. You grab the turkey by the neck, you swing it around, break its neck, and then you have your Thanksgiving turkey. Well, I, okay. I am concerned that the turkeys may not realize that we are still celebrating thanksgiving or i don't think they would be so bold i have a question because i've been on like golf courses where geese are about have you ever been yeah you ever been like yes. chased down by an angry goose like they're That's they're legitimately intimidating they're a little so, scary it's true with all the hissing are turkeys that intimidating when they come at you because i've never they been they make a noise more like <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah but is it just like all sound and fury Oh, oh I don't know. I mean, they, they're breaking windows. It says windows. they're biting people. Yeah, they're biting people. You grab it by the neck and swing it around. You kill it. Problem solved. The people of Tom's River need to fly J.R. Forrester. <laughs> <out there. laughs> Seriously. I'll so the local authorities wrong. can't do anything about this. I just, I, I just love that conversation, you know. Sheriff, <laughs> Sheriff, help me. <laughs> Sorry, it's out of our jurisdiction. <laughs> We're afraid to go outside. <laughs> We're not licensed to deal with wildlife. What is a uh, now, son, is that dog? turkey uh, a pet or is it wild? <laughs> oh, it's not a domesticated turkey. Well, sorry, son. Yeah, what if they just called and said, these are our pet turkeys. They've gone wild. Help us. <laughs> yeah, feral. Feral, feral turkeys. Feral. <laughs> 40 to 60 feral turkeys. <laughs> well, it sounds like the people of Tom's River just need to take arms. Also, can we talk about the name Tom's River since a male turkey is called a Tom? Right. Yeah. Oh. Now like, we know could how they it got be the more name. perfect? Exactly. Oh. Well, that's Maybe that's like what's complaining about a hurricane when you live in Hurricane Bay. Exactly. Maybe you shouldn't move to Tom's River if you don't like turkeys. <laughs> yeah, turkey. <laughs> well, um, we should note, by the way, that Clay, you have been traveling a lot lately, and Kathy is gone today because she is traveling. So you've been to Alaska and to Amsterdam. Uh, what is the next far away destination that begins with A that is on your list? I wish it was Australia. I was going to say, yeah. But it's actually um, Azerbaijan. Mm. No, I mean I'm going to Mexico in a couple weeks. Tulum, Cancun. Acapulco? There's no A's in there. It's Mayan. Is it Aztec? I guess I'm going to the Aztec world. Mm. Are you going no. to Mexico City? No. What? Why not? That's too bad. I mean, I might. You should. I, I barely survived the last two trips. I haven't planned this next one in depth yet. I know I'm going to Chichen Itza. Oh, that place is awesome. So, yeah. Uh, what was the coolest part of Alaska? Oh, I'll give you three quick ones. The drive to Seward is a beautiful two-hour drive from Anchorage. I've been there. And we literally, like, you know, we were on the lookout for, I wanted to see moose, bear, puffins. and a whale. Do you see puffins? I, I knew it was, oh, I saw tons of puffins um, at the uh, sea uh, center in Seward. But we did see a bear. 
we, nice. we, we did a quick U-turn and we pulled around and we tried to pull over and um, the, it was just, we couldn't like get a good view of it beyond that. We didn't see any moose, but we saw bald eagles. Oh yeah. Like oh. we pulled over at one point, we saw a bald eagle and then we saw a second one. And literally there were like four of them like flying around us. And it was so wild to be that close to bald eagles and there was nobody around. That's awesome. That was pretty cool. And the giant crab legs were amazing. And I learned a ton about the native peoples of Alaska and the Inupiaq and some other tribes at the museum and in other areas. So that's cool. Alaska was really fun. Did you know that uh, Benjamin Franklin bought Alaska from China specifically because of the bald eagles? Because he wanted it to be the national bird? (laughs) Well, you guys didn't plan this, but backfire on you. Like we get bald eagles by our library. Yeah, Yeah. but they're mostly, I think they're actually indigenous to Alaska. That's where they flew all the way from Alaska to our library. That's that's right. I have that basically right. (laughs) Um, Actual history. Do you know what Ben Franklin wanted the national bird to be? He did want a turkey. It's right. (laughs) Because they're tough (laughs) and they're tough minded. Um, and because eagles are robbers. No, Matt, it was because uh, Ben Franklin's childhood best friend was Tom Sizemore. Yes, correct. Um, did you know that the the bald eagles come down to our area every year at lambing season because they like to snatch away the baby lambs to oh. eat them? Wait, there's a lambing season? That's well, yeah, it's when all the lambs are born. Yeah, spring. What? Yeah, in the spring. You didn't know this? I, oh, why I would I know anything about lambs? There's like a classic book that talks about Does like uh, Charlotte's Web talk about lambing season? It's science. Okay, that book is science. Science. Sorry, a boring. thing that everybody knew. Charlotte's Web is really a hard read for me to get through when I was a kid. It was just <laughs> so boring. Because you're so sad. Wait, what, lambs can't be born any other time of year? No. What, do they hibernate? <laughs> <laughs> we can tell that Clay also doesn't have a lot of experience with non-domesticated animals. <laughs> what is the gestation period of a lamb? The lambs it's and the bees. To deal with when a mommy lamb and a daddy lamb <laughs> they love, love each other, other very much. much. They yes, only love each other very much at certain times of the year. <laughs> yeah. Right. They're like right most at lamb adults who are married. Um, Can I say that clay learning biology is one of my favorite fascinating <laughs> podcasts? It's true. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we we do not want to have an entire episode where Sarah Parker Rubio teaches clay about the lambs and the bees. <laughs> but so, speaking of trips to far off places. Oh. Yes, Sarah yes. and I were together in Nashville last week. Yes. I was going to transition to her book, but yeah, if you want to talk about yourself. I was just waiting. You were taking so long. Uh, yeah, I know. Classic JR. It's not my we fault you started talking about lambing season. We did. I had the segue time. planted. It was for the Christie Awards. We didn't win, though. Yep. Mm. That was terrible. But we're not allowed to share our feelings about that. Because nope. it was an honor to be nominated, and we're proud of everyone who did win. Yes, we're happy for them. <laughs> Speaking of faraway places, though, JR. <laughs> We Dead lost Air JR. Force JR. <laughs> JR is sad. He went away because I ruined his segue. Um, Sarah, usually when we bring a guest on, we start by asking them what fascinates them, like what generally yeah. in life. So it can be a hobby or a thing or a whatever. Like one thing or of, all the things? Uh, I don't know. We, Several things. It's We're asking you. Okay. So what has fascinated you in general through life? Um. So I am actually really fascinated. Fasc- fascinated. Um, uh-huh. Oh, with fashion. 
Actually, yeah, that was one of the things I was going to talk about. Fascinated. I like fashion. Um, and I was just reading a book um, about the fashion industry and kind of like how they produce and how, um, like how unsustainable they are and, and different designers who are trying to be more sustainable and more ethical and the sourcing is really, it was really, it was fascinating. It was fascinating. <laughs> what is that uh, unsustainable in and, the sense uh, of what, what, like they're using slave labor or what does that mean? Um, yes. Well, part of it is the conditions that, um, you know, that the workers are in as they produce clothing and also just like a lot of, um, what they call fast fashion. So kind of our lower cost, um, you know, clothing, they turn it over so quickly. Um, the different styles, they produce tons and tons of it. Um, and then they don't sell quite a bit of it. So you, you have clothes that are actually like thrown away and, Mm. um, and then, you know, they're, they're poor quality. So people throw them away more often. So just kind of the waste that's generated by the fashion industry. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. It is. I had, a, I had another interesting thing I learned fashion related in Alaska, which is umingmak. And that is the native word for the musk ox, oh. which is kind of like an Alaskan dinosaur goat. <laughs> um, you know how qualified I am to break down animals. Uh-huh. Yeah, more biology. Um, right. Yeah, well, it's it's really interesting. So we had some time to kill because our hotel wasn't ready. We walked around the corner and there was this little tiny store and they had scarves and headgear and they were explaining that the natives who live out in the rural areas, they um, create these goods and they help supplement their income by making these items out of the muskox fur. <clears throat> and Jen and I said, Oh, that's really great. We'd love to support it. Uh, and Jen's like, this is a pretty scarf. I'll get this one. And the lady said, that's $295. Oh, <laughs> oh good. Great. She's like, it's not an impulse buy. Uh-huh. And uh, so we kind of just gently set it back down on the counter and, and wished, <laughs> wished them well. Quietly back to did you head. Did you say, I could get my own musk ox for that price? <laughs> <laughs> it takes. I guess it takes like three years to harvest enough to make the, the item. So it's quite a specialty item, umingmok. But that was also fascinating. Oh, wow. Amazing. Almost fascinating. Wow. So I think JR was the turkeys got him. Yeah. He has fallen offline, but I'm sure he'll he, catch uh, up with us. He again. threatened to ring all their necks. Correct. Right. And they're ringing his bell right now. <laughs> um, okay. So here's another, here's another question I okay. was thinking about. Another thing okay. that fascinates me is sort of the, um, you know, the mechanics of fantasy worlds. Oh, So something I was thinking about last night, um, so I was sitting in one of my cats was sitting on my lap and he was, you know, and sometimes, I don't know if you guys do this, but you know, I talk to my cats and think about what they would say um, in response, but he was purring. (laughs) And so I was thinking, you know, in a talking animals, like Narnia type situation, would a talking cat be able to talk and purr at the same time? Mm. Or would he have to stop talking <laughs> to purr? It's like a bone in their throat that's vibrating, right? So I'm not sure that they totally even know how they don't it meow happens. when they're purring, do they? No, I don't think so. Not really. I mean, I don't do that with cats. I do that with dogs. But it's probably better that JR is not here to participate in the cat conversation. He hates cats. Oh, that's terrible. And turkeys. How many cats do you have, Sarah? I have two cats. They're brothers. Their names are Perry and Bono. <laughs> Perry and Bono. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Bono, I could see. Bono, like you too, yeah. And uh, Perry is named after uh, Dr. Cox from Scrubs. Oh, I thought you were going to say wow. Perry the Platypus. 
No. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Sarah, you and I often talk about mechanics of fantasy worlds because yes, you do. were, you've been my editor on the sunlit lands books and you're the best. So you've been mentioned pretty often on this show actually oh, at different times. So what, uh, has editing was editing the first thing you wanted to do, or have you always wanted to write? Like what caused you to move toward writing your own books instead of yeah, fixing mine? Um, well, I mean, I'm still doing that. Right. It's not I have not one. yet quit my day job. Um, yeah, it's taken me a while to get to that famous and wealthy author status that I know you guys have already attained. Yes. Um, but it's taking me a little, little slower. Back the truck up. Here comes the big author money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for that to happen. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, out of college, um, when it was time to get a job, I actually started, um, at world relief as a, um, administrative assistant slash receptionist, uh, world relief is a refugee resettlement organization and they are an awesome, awesome organization. But, uh, being a receptionist was terrible for me. I only lasted there seven months (laughs) being on the phone all day. It was, yeah. Um, it was bad. Is that because summer. you're introverted? It's because or? I'm introverted, yeah, and okay. I don't like to talk on the phone. So it was, yeah. so um, it was just like draining. Yeah. Um, but I did learn a lot of cool things, but we can talk about that later. Um, so then I was looking for another job, um, and I um, read a job. Just, I, I don't know how I even stumbled onto this website, um, but I read the job description for a copy editor position, and I was, it was just like the heavens opened and light shone down upon me. And I was like, you can read for a living. Oh my goodness, I have to do this. <laughs> um, so I applied. Um, and yeah. And then I went to talk to a career counselor um, who told me that everything that I wanted to do was completely unrealistic. Oh. Um, what did you tell them you wanted to do that was unrealistic? Uh, write books and work at Tyndale House Publishers. Career counselors need to get it together. They are out there <laughs> quashing dreams. I know. Oh, practical, practical, practical. I know, yeah. I was told that I would never make anything out of a history degree. And look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's become a constant sore spot that makes it easy for us to be entertaining on this show. Um, so your, this is your first book. Yes. And it's a, so it's a children's book. It's illustrated. What was it like, by the way, did you get to choose your illustrator? Um, I got to be part of the process, which was very awesome. Um, So how we usually do it, um, unless we have an author illustrator, which is actually um, kind of rare, um, at least in our house, in our industry, we, um, we look at the manuscript and then we have a fabulous art director, uh, Jackie Nunez, who, we'll look at a bunch of illustrators that she works with. She works with a lot of agencies um, and she will choose a group of illustrators um, that she thinks would be a good match. And then usually as a product development team, uh, we'll narrow that down to maybe three or four. We'll let, uh, we'll get the author's input and then we'll see who's available and who's within our budget. And then we kind of go from there. So, so this book, I've read this book, quite a few times now. And when Sarah, when you first sent it to me, you were just like, Oh yeah, here's the book I'm working on. And it didn't have any of the illustrations yet. Yeah. And, uh, I remember reading it and I'm sitting in front of my computer, like crying. It's so moving. It's such a beautiful book. 
And it's, it's really about, it's about the refugee crisis, but what, and I don't want to give any spoilers because you should buy it. My mom, by the way, read it (laughs) this last week and immediately was like, which people need this book? And she started making a list. Um, but what it's about is this family with a young child that, uh, they become refugees suddenly. And it's kind of from the point of view of the kid thinking through all the loss and the fear and different things. And then someone comes along and tells the story from scripture about, uh, Christ as a refugee in a really beautiful moving way, I thought. And I can kind of, I can imagine some parents thinking, Sarah, like, I'm not sure I want to talk to my, my child about refugee. Uh, so, so what brought you to this for your first book? And, uh, why, why do you think this is something we should be talking about with young kids? Yeah. Um, I mean, well, where I started with it was I was, you know, I was driving, I was listening, um, you know, to just a bunch of all this radio news about refugees and just thinking about, um, you know, just thinking about the kids and the parents and just thinking about, you know, I didn't do anything to have my kids be born, you know, in a country where they're relatively safe and secure. Um, you know, that's not because I'm better than these, you know, these other moms or these other parents, um, you know, and it could have gone the other way and just thinking like, what is it like, um, to have to tell your kid, like we have to leave and just thinking about the, you know, the, the, the world of a kid, like how, how small and precious it is, you know, the things that they love, um, their room, their, you know, their people. And what is it like to have to leave all that behind? Um, and I had, I actually did, um, you know, I did want to make this book sort of an entry level book for kids about what it, you know, what does it mean to be a refugee? So I did try to make it very gentle and very, um, you know, very not scary, not intimidating, um, while still obviously honoring, um, that loss and, and recognizing it. Um, I had read a couple of picture books um, about refugees where I was like, my kids when I wrote this were like five and two. And I was like, oh, this would, you know, there were just images in there that was like, this would be too scary. My kids wouldn't want to read this. Um, So I wanted to write a book that would be, um, that would be approachable for really young kids, but that they could kind of sort of get more out of as they, as they went along and talked to their parents. and, you know, I want, I don't want my kids to be afraid of sadness. You know, I don't want them to be afraid of, of the hard things. You know, they're going to encounter that stuff. Like they're going to encounter sad things a lot. I mean, a lot of our kids are going to school with kids who are from other countries who have had to leave under different circumstances. You know, I want my kids to understand, to, to know how to look at the world through someone else's eyes. Um, and I think that books are a really great way to do that. Um, you know, and it's a really great way to start a conversation with your kids where they can, you know, where it's like, it's okay for us to talk about sad stuff. Um, you know, and it's okay for us to, to talk about hard things and, and to have those conversations. And like, if, if you feel sad or if, you know, if there's something that you're wondering about, like, you know, I want them to be talking to me. Um, you know, I don't want, I don't want it to be like in our family. Well, we're just going to pretend that this stuff isn't happening or we're going to pretend that everything's fine all the time, you know, no matter what it is. So that's kind of where I was coming from on that. Now, Sarah, you grew up in Latin America. You met your husband there, um, especially with the refugee crisis that is facing a lot of folks from Latin America right mm-hmm. now. And, you know, the U.S. is uh, very 
ugly response to that. Like how, how did that affect either writing this book or getting ready to put this book out or the, even you dealing with the issues surrounding the refugee crisis in the world? Yeah. So, I mean, it gave me like a few, um, sort of touch points where I, you know, as I was thinking about like, what would this be like? Um, you know, I, you know, I was remembering what was it like when we went to um, the immigration appointments to get my husband's green card, his permanent residency. Um, like we had to have an interview with somebody in um, um, immigration to prove that our relationship was valid and then we weren't trying to scam the system. And just like that feeling of like looking at a stranger and knowing that they are holding their future in their hands, you know, whether they mm. stamp, you know, what wow. stamp they choose to put on your paper is going to have so much, um, you know, impact on what, you know, what's going to happen, what's going to happen to us and our family. Um, and, you know, and, and just thinking about like, oh, what, what is it like traveling, you know, for, to a different country with young kids? And, you know, even though, I mean, and we had like everything, you know, we had every advantage, you know, we had everything in order, like we had every reason to believe that they were going to, you know, that things were going to go well for us. Um, but it's still, you know, that's really stressful. Like kids don't understand why you have to stand in these lines. They don't understand why you need to like, you know, please don't whine and scream when we're talking to these people. Um, you know, little kids don't, don't get what's going on with that stuff. Um, so that kind of gave me a starting point to think like, you know, what would it be like to be doing this, like without any of the safety net that we had, mm. Um, and like, uh, when we launched the book, um, I was able to participate with one of my coworkers, um, who in our, in our chapel at Tyndale, uh, he shared about his experience in refugee camps and, um, and fleeing from his country and just talking about like, you know, the lines that you had to stand on, like to get water, to get food. Um, you know, they would try to get their names on the list you know, for, to be resettled. And you had to go back and check all the time to make sure your name was still on the list. Cause it would just like disappear and just, you know, yeah, just the different uh, things that they had to go through. There's so much waiting. There's so much uncertainty. Um, so, and then, yeah, I mean, actually my husband is from Colombia and um, who is receiving a ton of ref or has received a ton of refugees from Venezuela, their neighboring country. They've received over a million refugees um, wow. from Venezuela which, and that makes a huge impact, you know, I mean, when a million people, you know, come and, you know, live yeah. in your country. Um, so seeing it from that side as well, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? These people are, you know, these people don't have what they need to live in daily life. So, you know, and it's just really kind of, you know, thinking about Colombia's response as a much smaller country um, taking so many refugees and then, you know, the United States saying, saying oh, we're going to cap at, you know, this tiny number comparatively um, definitely alters the way I look at the issues. As well. Wasn't, didn't, wasn't there just a news story that we resettled zero refugees this year so far? <clears throat> um, they had, they reduced their number, like the cap significantly, or they were talking about reducing it. Um, I don't remember the exact numbers right now, but yeah, yeah. Um, recently, Trump said that he was going to slash the refugee cap to eighteen thousand, which was like wow. much, much less than in past years. Sarah, I'm curious. It's it's interesting times for any author to write about social issues, and the the market is always something that 
can be fickle, right? Can be challenging. Mm-hmm. With mm-hmm. your perspective coming from the editor side and the publishing house side, and then moving into the author side and having such a personal connection to this, what has that balance been like as, as you understand maybe a lot more than, than other authors who would be entering the space? Yeah, it's kind of scary. I, mean, I have access like to enough information to stress me out if I let it. Um, so, How so it's just, I mean, I can go and, and sort of look at, oh, you know, how many have we sold or, um, you know, stuff that I have access to since I work for the publisher or, you know, and I also, I know the market and I know how difficult just the children's, Christian children's book market is in general right now. Um, since we have, uh, I mean, we've lost a lot of our retail, which is, um, it's really important for, for kids, especially people like to pick up kids books. They like to look at them. Um, it just, is not the same experience when you're looking at it online. And so discoverability is really, um, really challenging, um, especially for, uh, you know, an, a new author, a first time author. Um, you know, you, if you have a big platform, obviously that helps you get the word out. Um, so, I mean, in the past we would, you know, send it out to thousands of retailers and people would find it there. Um, but that's not really the case anymore. Um, yeah. And I mean, as far as, as dealing with the social issues, I mean, so far the feedback has been really positive that I've gotten. Um, but it's always, you know, I'm always concerned about like how, you know, how are people even going to find out about it? So that's kind of the challenge that we're dealing with. Well, that's what I, the book's not political at all. It's, it, it's very focused on sort of the humanity of <clears throat> the refugee crisis yeah. uh, and the spirituality, which one of the, one of the things that interested me, like you talk about essentially as Jesus, as refugee in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've heard people before, like we've been talking and like, say, I'll say, you know, Jesus was a refugee and people get really upset by that sometimes just the concept of that. Uh, so can you just lay out for us a little bit, where does this idea come from? Like, how do we see Jesus as refugee in scripture? Sure. Um, well, I mean, in Matthew, we see after the, the magic, the wise men come and visit Jesus. Um, you know, we see that Herod is planning earthly father in a dream, like to take the child and flee. And that's actually, um, a verse that's in, in far from home at the end. And they, you know, in the middle of the night, they pack up and they leave and they move to Egypt. Um, so, you know, they're in danger in their home country and they suddenly are displaced from their home and have to move to a country that they've never been to. So I would say that's pretty much the definition of a refugee. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the exact definition, I think. Right. Well, it's so interesting that people want to split hairs, right? Because obviously refugee is a modern day political designation that Mm -hmm. didn't exist in the time of Jesus, blah, 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 blah. But like, (laughs) yeah, to your point, when you look at what, what creates the conditions under which a person finds themselves as a refugee, it's exactly what the Holy family experienced. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's really disingenuous to try to split that hair that way. Well, and um, if you look elsewhere in the Bible too, even when uh, we're talking about, you know, the Mosaic law in the old Testament, when God is laying out how his people should, um, you know, should deal with him and with each other, he says, you know, he has this in several places, you know, be kind and be fair and be just to the foreigner living among you. Um, you know, remember that you were foreigners in Egypt. You know, they had just come out of living uh, in a different country where they were actually enslaved and terribly mistreated. And, and God tells them, you know what it's like to be a stranger. Um, you know, be kind to the strangers who come to live in your land. Um, and then later Jesus says, when he's, you know, talking about, 
telling the story of the the sheep and the goats, you know, he says, you know, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. So he, you know, he refers back to it again. You know, this episode is coming out right before Thanksgiving. And I can't help but wonder if, uh, especially white Americans, when, if we, if we saw our, our proto Thanksgiving myth with the pilgrims and the native Americans more as as us receiving indigenous hospitality as mm-hmm. and fleeing as political mm-hmm. refugees and religious refugees mm. and being dependent mm. upon indigenous hospitality for survival instead of it being something like oh we struck out as brave conquerors and found this new blah 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 you know what we typically do i wonder if, how that would change our attitude towards refugees if at all you know yeah i but, think that's a really a really good point i mean i think that we should remember that you know, I mean, most of us at one point and, you know, came as strangers to, to this land. Like we're, we're guests in this land as well. Hmm. But we don't, we don't tell the story that way. Right. We tell right. it as like, uh, again, even Clay could speak to this, right. That our, uh, our, the, the founding fathers of the United States often positioned ourselves as like God's chosen people who have inherited this land justly. Um, and you know, God prepared the way for us. Uh, and, and even the way we've talked about native, native nations here was harmful and untrue, you know? Yeah. We'll actually be talking to Mark Charles about that a lot next week as well. Yeah. So, well, one of the things I love Sarah, just about far from home is that when I was reading it, it made me stop and think about the reality, particularly for children of this experience. Like just even the thing where it's like getting up in the middle of the night and being told you can choose one toy, pick it. Mm -hmm. Now we have to go. Like, I cannot imagine just getting my kids on an airplane to go to Disneyland is like this horrific event. (laughs) Um, So when it's like, you're leaving everything, we're not coming back. We don't think like that because we're in danger. That's a wow. Yeah. That's really, that's really quite a thing. Um, what, so Sarah, on your website, you say that, uh, your writing is about making books for a kinder world. I really love that. What, uh, so tell us more about that. How do you think books can move us toward kindness? Yeah, I actually got that from you, Matt. Oh, that was me. Yeah. Um, well, no wonder I, said... I, it really resonated with me. <laughs> <laughs> nice question. <Matt. laughs> when I sent you my, a couple of my manuscripts, uh, like a little over a year ago, um, you wrote back that one of the things that you liked about them was um, that they were like moving us towards a kinder future as a church. And I was like, oh yeah, I love that. Like, that's what I want to do. So that's what I want to do with my writing. So I decided to take it, you know, even bigger and, and say, you know, a kinder world, not just kinder church. But. That's awesome. So Sarah, is this a, a one-off? Is this, you just had to write this book and you're not really sure what's next? Or do you have a a plan to put out more books or are you just kind of waiting and seeing? Yeah, hopefully uh, I have a couple of manuscripts with my agent, the fabulous Karen Neumeyer from creative communications uh, at the moment. So yeah, she's shopping them around. We'll see what happens. I'm pretty Uh-oh. super cool. I'm pretty excited yeah. about them. <laughs> well, speaking of your website, Sarah, if people want to follow not just more information about uh, your book, but what you're doing in some of these future projects, where, where are the best places online for people to connect with you? Sure. So you can find me on Instagram or Facebook um, at Sarah Rubio Books. Um, that should work for either one. 
And then my website is uh, sarahparkerrubio.com. And you said your husband's a musician, right? He is. Yep. He's a composer for film and media. Ooh. I know. Where, Super cool, right? Where would we maybe ha- have heard some of his work or where could we learn a little bit about it? Sure. You can check out uh, his website. That's garyrubiomusic.com. Um, or you, he's uh, done some... Let's see if I can find the link. Uh, did some work actually for Tyndale and Compassion International's partnership. Okay. So you can look Very at that cool. video too. Oh, that's, you should be able to find it at TyndaleFamilyConnect.com. Very talented family. Yeah, that's fun. We get to like wrestle with super deep questions like, how are we going to pay the bills? Ah, <laughs> uh, the life of creatives. Yeah. Uh, her kids are jugglers. <laughs> it's a family act. Yeah. Tell those cats to start earning their keep. Oh, man. Yeah, we've talked about it, actually. <laughs> like, you look Come at on, them and Bono. you're like... <laughs> Pets <laughs> <Right>? of Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, uh, Sarah, the last thing we do on the show most weeks is that we talk about what's fascinating us this week. It can be things from pop culture or just something that's caught your interest that you're digging into, researching. Uh, you want to join us for that? Sure, absolutely. Great. I'm here we'll for We'll let it you all. go last. Yeah, we'll let you go last since we sprang it on you. Yes. Uh, but Matt, you know, uh, last week, since you weren't on the show, I told everyone that your pick was The Toll. Oh, my gosh. So, that book. so excited. Yeah, I figured you probably had already chosen that. So I didn't put it as. No, mine. I saved it for you and I gave it, it to you. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. So, what is your pick this week? Uh, my pick this week is All World. All Worlds Are Real by Susan Polwick. Susan is a science fiction and fantasy author who I love. She actually wrote a book that was about refugees in a science fiction world. Well, it's fantasy, actually. It was a portal fantasy. These people got kicked out of their dimension and into ours. Uh, so they were in a like refugee camp in the Nevada desert. It's a beautiful book. Uh, but this book, All Worlds Are Real, is a collection of her short fiction. And she writes what uh, I saw someone describe it as hope punk instead of like steampunk or something (laughs) like that. It's like books that are about the human experience uh, and that give us hope for the possibility of kindness and beauty and, and movement towards something better in the future. So I love her stuff. I, I've read a few of her short stories. uh, So I'm looking forward to diving into the book and getting a like comprehensive look at her short stories. So very excited. Yeah. How about, you, how about you, JR? What do you got? Uh, I subscribe to Disney Plus. Oh, giving the mouse's money. That's right. Well, you know, I, uh, <clears throat> I should say that I uh, already was doing Hulu, and they have this really nice Hulu Disney Plus ESPN bundle, mm-hmm. um, which ESPN, I, th- I think that's classic movies or something. I'm, I'm not totally sure. I think yes. it's ESPN Plus, actually. Yeah. Is that different? That's classic uh, movies for Aunt sports. I'm not sure. It's it's <laughs> movies over an hour and thirty minutes that are classic. Oh, okay, yeah. So that's the plus. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, obviously, don't care super much about ESPN, but uh, yeah, it, it's a nice bundle that is basically the same price as what we already paying for Hulu. So anyway, uh, I went ahead and checked out the first episode of The Mandalorian, oh. which is the live action Star Wars TV show, and and it was super fun. Uh, I am really. Sad 
slash happy that they're doing it week to week instead of the entire first season bingeable because I would have probably finished it already. Where Wait, it did you say live action? Yeah. Yes. Like all Star Wars movies? <laughs> no, but it's a TV show. Clay, there are a number mm. of Star Wars TV shows that are animated. Yeah, like I understand if you tell me you're doing like a live action Little Mermaid or something, but like or Aladdin, a Star Wars movie. There are a number of Star Wars TV shows that already exist. They are all animated. Designation, but this, so this one, is a live this is the first live action Star Wars TV show. Only the special effects are animated in this. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> is it better than Episode Four? Clay, we know you, you know, don't Clay, love Star Wars. Yeah. I'm asking legitimate it's Star Wars fans. Basically, they're trying to show Star Trek that they can do everything better than them by now <laughs> having a television show as well. Okay, yeah. so you're not comparing this to movies. <laughs> no, that's a legitimate question. <laughs> do you know what television shows are? <laughs> I don't know. I just know that people get so excited, and I heard there was a big controversy also because they put episode four on Disney Plus and they changed the whole Greedo Hans oh. scene again. Wait, what? Poor babies. Oh, yeah. This is amazing. So, of course, as soon as they released episode four on Disney Plus yesterday, yesterday when we were recording, because we record on Wednesdays. So a bunch of a bunch of fans went and watched episode four. And if you're if you're not Sarah, I assume you're familiar with the Han shot first controversy Mm -hmm. because you're a human who lives in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. If you're not, that's okay. Yeah, Um, not really. You're not. Okay. So in Star Wars, episode (laughs) four. How do I weigh respect? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is JR's or Clay's worth more? Well, uh, Clay is the one that interacted with you on Twitter a lot. So, um, um, so in episode four, originally in the Katina scene at the beginning of the film, Han Solo shoots Greedo first. Okay, yeah, thank you. Um, and that was important because Han is supposed to be like a rogue who learns to be good. Right? So when George Lucas released his edited version of the prequel or of the original films, uh, what was that? Late nineties? Uh, yes. Yes. He had ad- he had added a bunch of special effects and changed some of the scenes and stuff like that. Oh. And one of the things he did was he made it so that Greedo shot Han before Han killed Greedo. Wow. So it like made Han less of a bad guy because Han didn't shoot first. Sure. And all the Star Wars fans were all outraged because Han shot first. Like, that's how it is. Basically, Star Wars fans were in their default position of outrage. That was the beginning. I mean, it it actually is a significant change to the character, Clay, so people who care about the character. Uh, Yeah, I totally get that. So wait, what's the new change? Well, so the other problem is that when they released the Star Wars movies on DVD and then Blu-ray, they only only released the, the edits. So you can't own, except on VHS the Han shot first version. So it's like a big deal in star Wars is that people, people that care about this, like they can't have that version. It's just not available anywhere. Right. And so because George Lucas doesn't (laughs) think guns are good. It's like not even in the bonus features of no, it's nowhere. So there's this, the new edit, you could go find it on like YouTube and stuff. They changed it so that now Greedo says the word McClunky. (laughs) McClunky, <laughs> which is a word in some other language in Star Wars, <laughs> but he clunky. says McClunky, and then there's like an explosion that just for a second fills the entire screen, and then Han shoots. <laughs> so it makes even less sense. <laughs> 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 
McClunky. <laughs> Look at me so, breaking news. Does it help if we know what that means? Uh, well, someone someone went and found another character, apparently in episode one, that says the same word, and they found some translation of it, which is something like, I'll see you in hell, or today's your last day alive, or something <laughs> like that. So no, it doesn't really help. Mm-hmm. But it also turns out, so, so like yesterday when Disney Plus first launched, all these people were like, oh my gosh, they somehow made this scene even worse. <laughs> like, why did they do this? And then about, about noon, it broke that this was actually another edit that George Lucas made to the scene before he sold everything to Disney. <laughs> so like, it's still George Lucas <laughs> messing with the scene. And it's like every edit he makes makes it worse. Um, Jimmy Kimmel yeah. had the best line about Disney Plus. He said, look, you can give us $7 a month or you can raise your kids yourself. <laughs> oh. Oh. Super funny. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I mean, that's, it was just a really silly, fun controversy that happened over Disney Plus and all that yesterday, which was real funny. That I is love, fascinating. Yeah. I love George Lucas, and I would like to have him on the show. Big yeah, fan. Mr. Lucas, big fans. Uh, Clay has seen all your movies. Can I come so, back to be on that episode, too? Yes. Yeah, of course. I've of seen course. 60% awesome. of your films. <laughs> right, the first sixty percent, and then he wakes up for the credits. Yeah, it's hard. It's 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 a real challenge. Okay, Clay. Well, you don't like Star Wars. What do you like? What's your pick? Well, something that is not putting me to sleep, and that's very on brand for this episode, is Hulu's Castle Rock season two. So, how many of you watched season one? None of us. I did. Not me. Except Jr. Okay, uh, which. It's basically an anthological tale set in this world that King created. And season one featured Shawshank Prison. And it was pretty, I don't know, JR, would you say uneven? Left a lot to be desired, even though it was compelling because of some good acting? It was like bad Stephen King fan fiction. Okay, there you go. So season two, a lot of people expected that to continue. But what's interesting... Uh, what's interesting is, so that instead of Shawshank Prison, this time they're really digging into the character of Annie Salem's Wilkes. Lot. Salem's uh, Lot is featured. Um, the Marston what? House, Jerusalem's Lot, Marston's House. There's a lot of Easter eggs. But um, Wait, so that Annie Wilkes is the scary nurse from Misery? She's Kathy Bates right. in Misery. That's right. Okay. So this is a way to tell a Castle Rock story at which she Lizzie Kaplan plays her. I mean, there's a reason this is like 90% on Rotten Tomatoes for the critics, because first of all, Lizzie Kaplan's performance alone is remarkable. But the executive producers, when they started digging around main research for the first season, they saw that one of the things that was really prominent is the story of how refugees are uh, coming into especially Northern American dying white towns and bringing them back to life in a lot of ways. And they didn't have a way to tell that story in season one. But in season two, which also features Tim Robbins, who, like, you can never get Tim Robbins anymore, but I love it when I do. And Paul Sparks from Boardwalk Empire and House of Cards. Wait, so is this like a prequel to Misery? I don't understand. It's, it's yes. an anthological thing. But yes, it's, it's, it's basically Annie Wilkes' backstory is a big part of it. Um, but it's set alongside the Somali refugees and what? telling the story in Castle Rock. And it's really fascinated, fascinating how... They're um, the executive producers. One of them is like Harvard, Columbia educated, and he's an anthropologist. So, you know, he's really into this. Interesting. So there's this there's this reason that season two is way better than season one. It's only five episodes in, I think, on Hulu. But um, Lizzie Kaplan's performance is amazing. The storyline is fun. The, actually, the girl from eighth grade, J.R. Elsie Fisher. Yeah. 
she plays uh, a main character as well. And she's amazing. I'm going to have to watch this. <clears throat> you're going to have to watch it, and you're going to be surprised. <laughs> I am good. Well, not anymore because you spoiled it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, all that to say, the Somali refugee story um, is told in a really interesting and, I think, helpful way that probably a lot of people who will watch Castle Rock are not as mm, conversant in the refugee, in the modern refugee stories of what's happening across towns, across Maine, North Dakota, Minnesota, huh. and so on. That's really interesting because King really tends to focus on sort of middle-class whiteness as his norm, for sure. Uh, so it's interesting to see that intersecting a little more in there. That, that's what I say. It's, it's interesting. It's well-told. I mean, it's horror. It's going <laughs> to... There's some stuff I in there. I mean, horror. No, there is, there is a signature moment that I don't okay. think will ever be forgotten. Uh, for sure. You said that about the perfection and that movie was weak. Uh-oh. Per- well, Jared, go watch it and report back. What's, I will. What's the perfection? So Clay doesn't <laughs> even remember, remember it. it. You were like, I will never forget multiple scenes from this movie. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Uh, in his defense, he only saw 60% of it. <laughs> That's, uh, probably true. That's probably better than episode four. Sarah, how about you? What's fascinating you this week? Oh, well, first, so if I was really freaked out by the sixth sense, am I going to be freaked out by Castle Rock? Oh, yeah. Unlikely. Okay. <laughs> my, my tolerance threshold for horror is really low. Oh, no. I know. Um, yeah, so this week I was, you know, Facebooking and saw somebody share this article from Fast Company called The Norwegian Secret to Enjoying a Long Winter. And I am like the most cranky person about winter. I complain about it so much and like make it worse for everyone around me. Um, I just, I feel super cold all the time. And I really, really dislike, I kind of run like a couple degrees colder than the average person. Um, okay. but anyway, I just feel really cold. I hate feeling cold. Um, the dark, the ice, um, and it's all started. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware of what's happening in sh- like near Chicago, but it's like stupid degrees Fahrenheit right now. <laughs> I mean, it's under 30 degrees in Texas it's, right now. So it's kind oh, of apocalyptic crazy. for us. It's warmer yeah, in Alaska it's right now. And that's no. Yeah, so apparently Norwegians uh, suffer less from seasonal affective disorder than other people because they just embrace the whole idea of winter. Like, winter's here, so let's just have fun. Let's go skiing. Mm -hmm. Let's, you know, do cozy stuff indoors. Um, So, I mean, you know, that was, like, equal parts fascinating and irritating. Um, I mean, props (laughs) to the Norwegians. Um, But I was like, okay, I'm going to try to have a better attitude um, and maybe buy some more sweaters. There you go. I really thought that the advice was just going to be move south because that's what I did. I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I talk about doing that every year. So, I mean, if you find me a, a you know, a job and where are you, Texas, JR? Dallas. Pew, 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 pew. That was me shooting finger guns in the air. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awesome. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, well, okay. I genuinely love Dallas. The show or the city? Uh, the city, mm. yeah. Though being named JR, I do get references to the show a lot, so. True. <laughs> All right. All right, well, uh, that is our show for this week. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for being on with us for the whole thing, doing the intro also. Yeah, thanks for letting me. 
was super fun. It was great. Have we ever had a guest do the intro? I mean, that is like. Yes. We have, but it's okay. (laughs) But I'm special. You are special. Um, (laughs) uh, The book is called Far From Home. It is available everywhere books are sold. And I will say that the two children who live in my household also love it. So high endorsements all the way around. Also, the adults in my house love it. So it's not just kids love it. But yeah, it's great. Uh, So make sure you get a chance to check it out. Uh, Matt, tell us what is happening in the world of Narnia for your publishing this week. Yeah, so this week we have uh, an article I'm really excited about. Actually, it just went live today. It's uh, it's called Why Did Aslan Have to Die? Theories of the Atonement in Narnia. So basically it walks through what was Lewis's idea of what was happening at the stone table. Why, why was Aslan's death important? And of course, spoilers, Aslan is Jesus. So it also reflects what does Lewis think Jesus was doing when he died on the cross? So, uh, yeah, a lot of fun to write and we'll see how people respond to it. It's a little, Jer, you've read it. It's a little, uh, it's a little geeky on both the fantasy and the theology side. I feel like. I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty accessible and that's on brand. IMO. <laughs> <laughs> well, is Lewis being a bad evangelical again? Oh, oh he's, he's being a bad Calvinist. Not an, he's not an evangelical yeah, at all. No. I think it's pretty clear. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Clay, what about you? Where are you sending folks this week? Man, I'm just try- I'm just trying to stay in Texas for more than three days at a time. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been doing a lot of of teaching and workshops and a lot of stuff on communication and culture and conflict so eventually that stuff will seep into my writing when i can get back to more internet work but uh yeah i don't think i've put out too much lately i've just been just been doing the day job and and the live workshops around the globe nice how about you well my righteous gemstones article is live at think christian Mm -hmm. and uh i have another one coming on the new mr rogers movie starring everyone's favorite tom hanks (laughs) thanksgiving Um, yeah, so uh, that'll be going up probably in another week or so. But uh, yeah, the Righteous Gemstones article is live right now, which is so fun because I thought that that show was basically just going to be like a a nonstop parody of mega church culture, which I'm here for. But it actually ended up having a lot more to say, and the whole first season ended up being like an inversion of the Prodigal Son story in a way that I found really compelling. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I, saw, I, was really ex- I keep seeing you share these great think pieces, and I'm like, well, I can't wait until I watch that show so I can read this. So I have like this like three pages bookmarked in pocket <laughs> that I'm like going to have to go back to six months after you wrote them. And I'm going to finally be ready to talk about the shows when I watch them. Your JR file. <laughs> yeah. The JR file. That's what I do. So anyway, yeah, I'm excited about those. And then I'm actually on the most recent episode of the think Christian podcast talking about Jonathan Hickman's run on X-Men, uh, which just started. Oh. So uh, yeah, nice. so all over the place there. So yeah, those are those are all all the stuff at Think Christian. If I'm not here, I'm there, and I'm still working on an article on the Lighthouse that I hope will come out one day before I'm dead. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> one day before you're dead? How do you know? Yeah. Which day? Like your penultimate day? So I think saying. once I write it, I'll have nothing left to live for. That's how oh, good it's, it's, like a, it's like a horror oh. film. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh. Wow. It will exhaust all. I will exhaust myself I mean, upon the article. It's going to be like season 47 of Castle Rock. It'll be your story. That's exactly right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. My article is essentially going to be Stephen King fan fiction. So amazing. <laughs> yeah. All right. This has been episode 244. Sarah Parker Rubio. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for Thank letting you. it be your first podcast ever. Amazing. Uh, we sure hope it's not going to be your last because we'd love to have you back. Awesome. 
Yeah, and the book is Far From Home, and you can buy it wherever quality books are sold. Check it out. We'll be back next week with another great episode on Thanksgiving. Uh, So hopefully we'll have Mark Charles with us. Either way, though, we're going to do the episode on Thanksgiving. So until then, take care of yourselves out there. Be safe and uh, make sure you reach out to Sarah and let her know you uh, you enjoyed having her on the show. Thanks again and see you next week. Palms River Shop.